You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. That is what I first saw, thought of when I saw a picture of the loggerhead shrike. But it's actually a lot bigger than, than this little New Zealand fantail. What can they teach us? And then they will carry the prey up, up, and away to skewer them on thorns of trees or of bushes or often bob. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Yes, you are, Angie. Happy October again. I know. October is such a great month here at All Creatures Podcast. So much fun. Prepping for the loggerhead shrike has been a good time. Uh, it's just this pretty little songbird with raptor behavior, <laughs> a.k.a. a dark side like none the other. <laughs> it's it. It's the cutest thing on earth, and then it's it's like a terror bird. It's just yeah, it's like, nicknamed ah! it's nicknamed the butcher bird, rightfully so. And well, Chris, this loggerhead shrike is the only known predator songbird. So yeah. not necessarily carnivorous, right? Because a lot of mm-hmm. songbirds eat mm-hmm. insects, mm-hmm. but a predator. Like I mean, like hunting. <laughs> Wait till we get to the some of the hunting behaviors, and then of course the. Um, very, very well-known, and I had so much fun watching many, many YouTube videos of their behavior of impaling <laughs> their prey on thorns and barbed wire, and it's just perfect for October. <laughs> oh, when you mentioned them, because, you know, we, we sit there and we brainstorm, okay, what, what are some spooky creatures we haven't covered yet? And you said the Shrike and, and, and the one that impales, and so I went and looked, and I was like, the first image that came up, I remember these things. And I was like, oh, God, yeah, we got to do them. We have I to do know. them. Well, and I have to give a huge shout out to Laura, who's a volunteer from one of Canada's top zoos, which is mm-hmm. the Toronto Zoo. Mm-hmm. She reached out to us um, a few weeks ago and uh, suggested loggerhead shrike. Yeah. And so thank you, Laura, for that, because it's just been fun. And I can't wait to share this podcast with our audience, because this bird has it all. It's a beautiful songbird. It has some fun behavior. Oh, my goodness. And the courtship behavior, I'll have you cracking up when I talk about some of that. Uh, so we just love birds here at All Creatures Podcast. We don't get a chance to cover enough of them. But this loggerhead shrike is gonna is gonna give you something to talk about at your Halloween parties this year. I know it, it is, it is, and and shout out to the Toronto Zoo because when we get to conservation, they have an amazing conservation program trying to save a subspecies of loggerhead shrike. Well, that's what else I realized, Chris, this week is a couple of the subspecies are endangered, critically endangered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a few handful left. And, you know, they they, they are near threatened total as a species, you know, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk a little bit about this massive decline in North America in birds. Well, yeah, Chris, in general, for the loggerhead shrikes, their numbers between 1966 and 2015 have declined about 3% a year, which is a total of 76% decline, researchers think. It's massive, yeah. It's 76%. Massive. Yeah, these birds are, are are on a downward trajectory to extinction. So I, I hope it's a big wake-up call to the United States, to Canada, to Mexico, that we need to support our birds because we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We're going to talk about why they're, they are just so critical for our food webs. First, real quick, shout out to Jill, who joined us this week on Patreon. Thank you so much. We have our poll up on the final species we'll cover this month. So we'll let that run for another week and then see what our, our Patreon supporters want us to cover. So we have we have some good choices there. But again, you know, it's a cup of coffee a month. We appreciate the support. We're giving back to conservation. And Angie and I are, are trying to educate as many people as we can about the plight of these species and then bringing interviews from a lot of these conservation experts. So thank you so much. 
And I'd like to just give a quick shout out to Josh, who I mentioned last week. Um, He is a friend of ours here at All Creatures Podcast. And Josh has a passion project of making endangered species card decks that he will be selling. And you can reach him on Instagram at at josh.c.carter, C-A-R-T-E-R. And you can find this information on our show notes. Uh, You can direct message him on Instagram. And I know he's definitely had people reach out to him since last week. I definitely reached out to him because it's a great stocking stuffer for my family. And if you enjoy playing cards and card games, why wouldn't you want a beautiful um, endangered species deck with facts about the endangered species on there? So you also have a conversation piece at the same time. And Josh will be donating all, yes, you heard me straight, all of his proceeds to his two favorite um, charities, which are Born Free, which we just recently talked to here on the podcast, and then Sea Legacy. So please reach out to him and uh, you'll be helping support some great causes and getting a nice little uh, a nice little gift out of donating your money. No, thanks, Josh. That's that's amazing work what you're doing. And Angie, when I first saw this bird, it, one of the things I give I always give a shout out to Jesse whenever we do birds, and and he's really got me hooked now on bird watching. Is the New Zealand fantail cute little little thing, and it's always dancing around. And I play the calls, and they jump down the trees, and they dance above your head, and then you know display their fans, you know, like hey, they're 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 great. That is what I first saw, thought of when I saw a picture of the loggerhead shrike. But it's actually a lot bigger than, than this little New Zealand fantail. And again, it's dubious. I don't know how we want to say this. It, it, it's, it's reputation as a butcher bird. You just see this thing. I, I think of like Snow White with, you know, the little blue bird. But then the thing just would dive down and start killing all the mice on the ground at Snow White's feet. Like it's just. It is. It's definitely uh, has a dark side. But when you do look at it, I mean, I just see a really good looking songbird. Oh, yeah. And uh, but when you really start to like look at the anatomy and then, of course, we'll talk a lot about the physiology and the behavior. We're going to learn that this little songbird, the loggerhead shrike, was uh, made to kill and made to be a predator. Now, it's not a true bird of prey, but it has these predator behaviors. But from the outside, when you look at the loggerhead shrike, it's a beautiful bird, grays, black, white. Its head color is gray. And then the gray runs down its nape, neck, and shoulders. And then its wings are mostly black uh, or dark brown, depending on the subspecies. And there's a white, uh, like a white band on the wings. And so it's really pretty when it opens its wings up. You can see this like white band against the dark brown or dark black slash gray. And the underbelly is all white. So from like basically the chin, all the, and all the undercarriage is white with a black tail or black or brown tail feathers. But with this gray cap that it has on its head, starting back behind their ear holes is a black, a very thick, prominent black band or mask that runs from behind the eye all the way around the eye to the bill on both sides. And so it really looks almost like like a bandit or um, it's it's like a little hint of some of this dubious behavior. That I know, I know, I know. But what's also really interesting, when you look closely at the loggerhead shrike, it does have a very big head for its body size. And because of this large shaped head, that's kind of where the loggerhead came, part of the name came from, because I guess loggerhead also meant like blockhead which also means big head. And researchers speculate that the loggerhead shrike has kind of this bigger head because of its hunting behaviors and how it carries really, uh, or it has the ability to carry very massive sized prey um, to its perch. In (laughs) fact, sometimes um, it can like almost carry itself in size. And so it needs a strong head to be able to attack prey, potentially snap their neck and then carry them up to impale them. <laughs> Wait till we get to the behavior. Like it's a little songbird. It's oh, this cute, cute, adorable, so cute. 
mammal murderer, you know? It, it like, is. It is. mice and moles uh, and all sorts of little animals. Right. And But see, it's not a true bird of prey because it lacks the talons mm-hmm. and the, 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 that, that type of foot to pick up prey by the feet, right? right. Uh, but it does have a thicker bill than a lot of the other songbirds. And there's a small hook at the end. Mm-hmm. Like if you think of like a hawk or other birds of prey. Mm-hmm. And then it's really cool too, around the uh, edges on, on each side of the upper bill, there are um, these little protrusions that I'll talk a little bit more about too, uh, that act like hooks to help latch onto the prey and mm-hmm. do its thing. So it's just it's just really uh, it's a really a fascinating bird, bird but it, it but beautiful in the air mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. beautiful when it's on its uh, perch hunting uh, because of the colors. I just really like that gray, white, and black pattern color pattern. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. me, it's just very uh, very striking and a good looking songbird. Yeah, yeah, and and like I said, they're they're when I think of a lot of songbirds, like a little sparrow, you know, that you can hold in your hand. This is, you know probably three times the size of that lengths up to nine inches or 23 centimeters. The weight is about 50 grams, but like all birds, birds don't weigh very heavy, obviously. So they could fly wingspan just over 12 inches, you know, or 32 centimeters. So, you know, they, they say American Robin size, you know, when I think of Pip in Britain, the uh, European Robins are very tiny songbirds. But the American robins, I mean, those are those are a little bit bigger. Or a cardinal, eh, it's probably bigger than a cardinal, but about that size. You know, it, it, it's not a tiny little songbird. It, it 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 has some mass to it. Now, this is a North American bird, like we've opened up with. They they stretch from Canada down into Mexico. You know, very southern parts of Canada, pretty much most of the United States. You know, there's some spots, especially New England area, where, where they're not really found. But most of the continental United States and then most of Mexico until you get down into the Yucatan Peninsula, you know, so Baja, California, and then down into Mexico. And then you're going to find these in, in, in open country, low trees, shrubs, you know, Scrub yeah, they like lands. to be in the. Yeah. They like to be in the woods because that's where they need the yeah. trees to do their um, uh, impaling behavior. Yeah, <laughs> but they like to hunt more in plains. So a lot of times, they said it'll be a field woods that are like next to a field, ideally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what you'll but find. Out. They can be pretty adaptable though, and they can even be found in urban areas as well. Um, but yes, they they like those fields and the woods, so they need a little bit of both. And I'm lucky enough to have the loggerhead shrike here in Florida. Now, I have not seen one, uh, but I'm going to have to get some of my birding friends out and ask them if they have. If they, I know they're in Gainesville, but how present they are, that I'm not, that I'm not really sure of. And also, my, my old stomping grounds, my, my home, Michigan, they're considered endangered there uh, and very, very few sightings in the past. 20 or 30 years in Michigan. Uh, however, there's been a couple sightings in the county where I'm from in Michigan. And so I've had like two chances to see this bird and I just, I just really need to get on it. And I would love, love to see the loggerhead strike in the wild, let alone maybe catch some of these amazing behaviors. Okay. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's, I always, I always kind of wait to the end, but I have to talk about eBird and the Merlin bird ID app. Angie, I would be out after this podcast and I would be going down to Payne's Prairie Mm -hmm. and I would be with binos looking for these birds. I just know what a dork I would be and being like, I need to see this bird in the wild. Um, I, you know, Jesse's got me now every weekend and, and, you know, during the week, even on my walks, I just open it up and I just start counting birds. It's fun. I'm learning all the species here. I'm actually learning their calls. So like the New Zealand fantail, I know immediately. Uh, the Tui, you can't miss that one here. It's kind of like a, it's almost like an owl who, who hooting. Just very unique uh, bird here in New Zealand. Uh, you know, we got the house sparrows like crazy here. You know, we've got a lot of invasive species, but then the native species. It, it's, it's just fun with the kids. And, you know, I'll talk more about it at the end of the podcast, but 
Yeah, you need to get out there and find them in Florida. You have to. You have to see a shrine. I know. Well, and they're year-round residents here too. So we're and uh, the ones in Michigan are only there during breeding season. So yeah, I mean, I have a great chance to theoretically see one. So fingers yeah, crossed. I mean, Stay tuned. I know. I can't wait to send me a picture. I found one. I'm going to be like so excited for you. So these do migrate a little bit. They. You know, like in, in Angie's neck of the woods there in Florida, those those are non-migratory, right? But other ones do migrate north in the spring to the breeding grounds to like southern parts of Canada, the central plains of the United States. And then you do see some non-breeding resident birds on the east coast of Mexico um, that, you know, once they get a breeding age, they'll probably migrate a little bit to to breed. But very large range, you know, very large range. So when talking about why I care about these songbirds or birds in general, I, I really dove deeper into the, these latest reports about the massive loss of birds that we have seen in North America, right? So like the just the shrike, for example, what Angie, you, you mentioned before we started recording that they eat some poisonous insects. They do. I can't wait to talk about it when we get to nutrition. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Toxic ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, you know, each of these birds are, are critical to our food web. And this report that we've lost 3 billion birds in 50 years has scientists alarmed, you know, and rightfully so. And they're, they're really saying birds are so important. They are an indicator species of the health of our ecosystems. And, you know, they even, it's not even tongue in cheek. They, they call them the canaries in the coal mine, which, you know, miners used to always carry canaries with them down in little cages. And if the canary dropped dead, then you knew there was toxic fumes or gases in the mine and they would get out. And that's where that, that saying canaries in the coal mine always came from. So seeing such massive loss of biomass, again, that's like the total number of animals per species when we talk about this this loss. We didn't lose that many species. It's just like using the loggerhead shrike as an example. We have lost 76% of their population in the last 50 years, which is alarming, alarming. So we're seeing a, a massive change in the environment in Canada, United States, and Mexico. And I will say you can you can for all of our international listeners, international listeners, you obviously seen very similar trends. We're seeing this in Asia, we're seeing this in Europe for sure, probably parts of Africa. I, I don't you know maybe not as much there, I don't know yet, but Australia here in New Zealand, undoubtedly, absolutely, you know, so many species have gone extinct or on the verge of extinction because of human imp- impact. So we're seeing this trend, but this this is a first study to come out and say, wow, this is having such a, a major impact. So, you know, the, the scientists talking about this on why birds are so important is, you know, we know a lot about them. We know about their life histories. They're easier to study than, than some animals and, and some species. You find birds pretty much everywhere. They're on every continent. You've got penguins down in Antarctica. You've got them almost, you have desert living birds. You have obviously the deep rainforest, tons of birds, all on island nations. You know, the birds are pretty much found everywhere on earth. And they all f- fill different niches, you know, like, we're talking about this butcher bird, this loggerhead shrike. It has a particular niche that it fits and it helps. An important it one. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So each of these birds play a critical role. And it's not just what the birds eat, you know, insects, uh, they're pollinators, uh, mammals, you know, that's what we're going to talk about today. But the other raptors, they, it's not just what they eat, but they are also food for other animals. And their eggs are food for other animals. So there's a very, I just, I just, it's a complex relationship, you know, across 
multiple ecosystems with these birds. But just some of the other things, like I said, you know, we, we covered hummingbirds, orioles, honeycreepers, they all pollinate. You hear Angie and I always talking about seed dispersal, how critical that is. You know, for, for certain birds, they'll eat certain seeds where the seed needs to go through the digestive tract to be able to germinate. And when you take the bird out, those seeds cannot germinate. That plant starts to become extinct or or several that, plant species, yeah. Yeah, they either they head towards extinction, right? So, you know, you got tons of birds that fill that role. When you talk about invertebrates, you know, biological control, you have, you know, woodpeckers and bluebirds and 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 flycatchers and the shrikes, they all go out and and help keep those populations down. So uh, birds play such a complex role in the ecosystem. And, and so this, this drastic reduction obviously is going to, is impacting our environment. And this is where we start to see some, where some of these ecosystems start to break down and you start to see other species either proliferate like crazy, like ticks and right. Unwanted ones. often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then others fall away and like certain plants and flowers and other things uh, go extinct. So, you know, it, it's just a massive loss where we're losing these birds. This study went and looked at all the different biomes and highlighted why and where. So the, biggest place where we've lost nearly 720 million birds. Okay. So this is where the majority of birds were lost. We're in our grasslands and a lot of, you know, agriculture development in, you know, the plains of the United States, the plains of Canada. Then you talk about a lot of pesticide use. It has devastated their habitats, has devastated their their prey, things they eat, and it has devastated birds that depend on grasslands. You know, right. you fly over the United States, it's a crisscross of farms. You know, the, it's the breadbasket of the world. The United States is a major, major agriculture producer. But when you fly from the East Coast to the West Coast, you look out the plane window and you just see it's just farms everywhere where it used to be grasslands and buffalo and pronghorn and, you know, uh, ferrets and all of those things. It was a very vibrant, vibrant ecosystem that it has been just plowed away. So, you know, looking at what's left of those grasslands, we should look to protect, you know, in, in South Dakota and Wyoming and some of these other states where they're still there. Just quickly to get through this list, you know, the boreal forest was next. We lost nearly 500 million birds there, which is interesting because that's more, but north, right? Canada, boreal. Mm -hmm. But oil and gas development, logging, fires, climate change is a big driver. You know, losing 500 million birds in population has had a big, big impact. Then your general forests, again, very similar logging, wildfires, things like that. We've lost 482 million birds in, in population. Then your just generalist habitat, 400 million birds. So, you know, and then they did talk about the Arctic tundra, kind of going through some more of these. Climate change, a big one. We've lost 80 million birds there. Our deserts, our arid lands, you know, just urban sprawl like Phoenix in Arizona. You've seen major development there that, that have taken out tons of habitat for birds. So about 35 million birds there. And the only area that they didn't have a good handle on in the study when you read it are our coasts. Because they just admit it's kind of data deficient, especially with a lot of seabirds, because those are harder to to track because they do go off uh, the coast. They, we, oh gosh, I can't even remember the bird it was, but Jesse and I a couple of weeks ago went and we just had birds arrive from Alaska here in New Zealand. They flew across the Pacific Ocean 
I remember it was the red knot. I think it was Jesse will correct me if I was wrong, but it, it, it migrated from Alaska and it just got into New Zealand, like within the week. Crazy. Oh, the, how these birds migrate across oceans and just do it straight without stopping. Cause they have a couple of them tagged. So they, they track them and all their movements. Mm-hmm. So they, but all of these, uh, birds that that live on the coast they they estimate about six million birds have been lost but they don't know they admit it's it's deficient here's the good news Ooh, in the we study. love good news i know okay. we lose 3.2 billion but the the good news is our wetlands in north america have gained population about 20 million birds since 1970 now they, okay. they admit not all of them have thrived. Some marshlands are still in trouble because of development, blah, blah, blah. But that is because you and I have mentioned it. It was a political action, land restoration. It was the the, the hunters, you know, where they have of gone course, in and said, yes. we need to protect these waterfowl. And they've gone in and, and pushed a lot of political action to protect these areas. And the wetlands have thrived. I see it in California. I saw it in California when I was there and parts of Florida. So that's, I, I think maybe that's something not, you know, just for hunting, but we can take what they did and apply that to some of these really critical areas where these birds are. But again, these trends are, are not good. It, it's, it's scary yeah, 70, data. 76% yeah. in the past 50 years for the loggerhead strike alone. But with that being said, as you mentioned, the good news is when we get to reproduction, we'll talk about the the loggerhead shrikes and several other um, songbirds. They lay multiple eggs um, during breeding season and some have uh, two clutches. And so theoretically, if we put a lot of these uh, conservation mechanisms in place to help keep them safe and to help keep their habitat and and to make sure the populations are healthy and not exposed to toxic chemicals, man-made chemicals and things like that, then their numbers should bounce back pretty readily, right? They don't have mm-hmm. that we know of. They don't really have reproduction problems. And uh, there's definitely not too many bottlenecks, except for maybe a little bit with a couple of the endangered subspecies of the loggerhead shrike. But I think, as you mentioned, that model for several different songbirds, mm-hmm. uh, that, it, that, it, that it can be good news. We just have to get to get to the other side. Yeah. And I just, I brushed over the study. I mean, obviously it's a very, very in-depth, dense, data-driven study, but, you know, you see that biomass reduction and then you see where, and it just makes sense. You know, it just, it it just makes sense. But it's also good too, that there's brilliant people that are studying these things. And when we talk towards the end of the the podcast about fighting for songbirds or for Mm -hmm. even the loggerhead shrike, as we'll talk about later on. So there is some good news. And I mean, whatever it is, we need to save these birds because Chris and I, no matter how long we do this podcast, we probably will not be able to cover all these songbirds. And (laughs) no, (laughs) No. but we should, because their behavior, their vocalizations, their, uh, their courtship rituals, their hunting techniques are just so incredible. I know there's so many, well, jumping into that. I mean, you know, when you look at birds as a whole, there's over 10,800 species uh, Mm -hmm. across the planet. And there's probably many more to be discovered, you know, uh, that we, we have yet to discover. So there's probably more than that. Now the loggerhead shrike is of the order passiforms, and this is your songbirds or your perching birds. And so that's over 5,000 species. So Angie's right. We can't cover 5,000 species. We cover like two songbirds a year. I mean, if somebody actually made it my official job and I could record multiple times per week and I yes, had like yes. a studio and an assistant and a microphone yep. that didn't flop down and was duct taped, <laughs> then maybe we could. No. And then looking at the, the, the family of shrikes is Lanidae. And the carnivorous passeriforms in 34 species. Then when you get into Lanius, which is the genus, the typical shrikes, and there's 30 species. So these are distributed across, you know, Europe, Asia, Africa, and then just two species in North America. So you have the loggerhead and the northern shrike. 
You do not have shrikes in South America or Australia, even though one from Asia does migrate down to New Guinea. Now, the loggerhead shrike itself, its species name is Lanius ludovicianus. Hey, I did that right. And there's seven, you got it right, seven subspecies. So you have one in central Canada, the western part of the U.S., central U.S., eastern North America, the coastal southeast U.S., so that's probably yours. Yes. So that's the mm-hmm. Lanius ludovicanus ludovicanus. A plus, Chris. Good job. Yeah, <laughs> down really there by you. Yeah, that's your yours. Uh, the Channel Islands one, which we're going to highlight here in a second. Uh, there's one there, or the one that San Clemente Island is its own subspecies. That's the one where there is only about 10 individuals left. And I think that's the one. Critically that endangered, one? yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, critically endangered. Uh, then you have the ones that go down into Mexico and then Southern Mexico. So, so seven, sp- seven subspecies of shrikes. Ooh, say that seven times fast. I know. <laughs> I was like, that's a lot. That's no, a don't, lot. don't. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, birds, again, go way back. We've covered bird evolution many times. Jurassic period, 160 million years ago. They're flying dinosaurs. That's really yeah. all we need to say. I know. That's why that's why Xander needs to be just a bird scientist and ornithologist. Totally. Yeah, because he loves dinos so much. And the Zachary first... now. He wants to be a paleontologist too. So oh, we could have he? one like be brother. a paleontologist and one be an ornithologist. Yeah, that'd be I'd awesome. Be, could... I'd be happy with that. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. The Mio brothers. And, and then the, the third one's gonna be the angel. Just 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 watch. <laughs> third baby's a charm, <laughs> yeah. so they say. Yeah. Now, these songbirds didn't start evolving until about 50 million years ago. So you go through the whole bird tree. In the southern hemisphere is where they they started to emerge. Our earliest fossils are from Australia and New Zealand, so down in my neck of the woods, of songbirds. Now, the shrikes themselves, there's not a lot of data. Again, a hard animal with these hollow bones to fossilize. And they think they emerged in Africa, but, but again, they, they don't know yet. There's just, there just seemed like to be a big hole there. Whenever I kept digging, there was not a lot on evolution for on shrikes per se. So, you know, that's what we think they evolved, but you can imagine these birds are, are very old, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. They've been around uh, the, the modern shrikes that we see today. Looking at facts about these birds, Angie, you know, average about seven, eight years in the wild. There, there, there was one male that they were tracking lived to be almost 12, but mm-hmm. they thought that was, was pretty rare. Not a lot of specific data uh, on different physiology a little bit besides their, their behavior. That's really where people study them. Well, yeah, Chris, really the only thing I found that was very new to me was uh, with the loggerhead shrike, the hook bill, yeah, as I mentioned yeah. a little bit earlier in the podcast when I was describing them, on the upper bill, there is this like edge or ridge projection on each side of the upper bill, and it's called a tomium, which act like tomium teeth to help grab the prey by the back of their necks and then carry them and do everything else that they're going to do to these poor little prey items. <laughs> so it's definitely doesn't look like your traditional songbird bill uh, or beak. And yeah, this tomium teeth was a new term for me. So I found that very interesting. Yeah, that was what was really unique is, is that bill. And, and you kind of just, you did a very good job describing that uh, in the beginning, you know, just talking about how, hunting and, and, and leading you into behavior. I couldn't really find on, on flight speed. I saw one estimate of 30 miles per hour, or 50 kilometers per hour. But what we do know from the behavior studies is, you know, they're up about 10 to 13 feet. So what is that? Mm-hmm. Like three to four meters off the ground. And then they swoop down on their prey and then use that bill to you know, snap their necks, like you said, behind the necks uh, to kill them. Yeah. Researchers speculate that the hook bill and then that tomium tooth or teeth on the upper bill 
basically serve to sever the necks of their victims. And although they, like you mentioned, they definitely hunt a lot from their perch and just, just wait for the prey to be vulnerable and swoop down on it. Their hunting techniques are actually really flexible because they've also been reported to hunt from the ground and then also hunting from the air while doing this hovering, kind of slow flying, kind of gliding motion like you might see in a kestrel. And then if they see prey, they can swoop down and uh, grab them from there. So pretty, pretty flexible, just like their diet too, right? The loggerhead strikes are the only known predator predatory songbird, um, but they'll eat invertebrates, vertebrates, uh, and they, anything from like grasshoppers to beetles to mice, frogs, lizards, snakes. I saw some snakes yeah. being impaled on some of these mm-hmm. videos I was watching, mm-hmm. baby birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, other, <laughs> other birds, <laughs> there was report reports of them grabbing, um, Price as large as a cardinal, which you mentioned in the opening of the podcast, it's about mm-hmm. how big they are. Mm-hmm. So they can basically carry an animal that's as massive as itself with with their you know with their beak, uh, because they don't use their talons or their mm-hmm. feet like a, a real a true bird of prey would. Yeah. Uh, and so, but what's fascinating is they they do all this, and then they will carry the prey up up and away to skewer them on thorns of trees or bushes, or often bob- barbed wire, depending on where they live. <laughs> and yeah, it's pretty, it's just, it's just crazy. And then when you're watching these videos and you're seeing like, <laughs> you're seeing how they, how they skewer them and then eat them from there, which is, it's kind of like a utensil, right? Um, Tool use, yeah. A shish kebab, right? We've all had shish kebabs <laughs> before. Uh, so in, And what's really fascinating, too, is these loggerhead strikes are smart birds. So they evolve this really cool behavior that works for them uh, that helps them basically eat the food and keep it there for a while. Um, And they actually will cache their food depending on the time of year or if it's breeding season. And by cache, I mean like store some of it. So they don't always necessarily eat it right away when the the, uh, meat is fresh. And... When I say they're smart, they've learned that butterflies such as the monarch butterfly, grasshoppers or the lubber the lubber grasshopper and the eastern narrow mouth toads are toxic creatures or poisonous like uh, with the toad it's the outside of their skin and they taste really really yucky. So they'll impale the these creatures and let them sit for about I don't know 3 days or so. Until the toxins, you know, the animal's dead. So the toxins mm-hmm. start to break down in their body. And then the loggerhead strike will gobble them up because they're no longer tasting icky or and or poisonous. A little aged so meat. Just, yeah. <laughs> yes. They basically like, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll wait for the poison to get out of you or the, you know, for you to stop tasting so yucky and uh-huh. or noxious is the scientific term. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then we'll gobble you up. So just really just so fascinating. And then, and the videos I was watching, you see these like perfect for spooky October, these almost like cemetery of like acacia, like trees with thorns on them and just like skeletons of lizards and snakes and, uh, other birds uh, that are basically like a shrine to meals past had just crazy. And, and then once again, too, that they, they'll actually store some of these food. Uh, they call it their larders or their pantries mm-hmm. that will help them get through winters if it's cold out or when food is really, really scarce. So just, it's, just fascinating. Oh, but talk about the behavior, just studying that behavior. It just, what? how exciting yeah. it would be to like to watch some of that. Like it, it's, it's, that's why you got to go find this bird. It, it. I know. And then researchers too have reported that um, in the in the winter months when it's colder, like even here in Florida, we don't get that cold, but in North Central Florida, we'll get a little bit colder. But these birds are smart, man. They will basically mm-hmm. hunt when the weather is cold, like in early mornings and things like that, because 
the insects that are still around, especially like in Florida, oh my gosh, we have like mosquitoes year round, but the insects that they are hunting, whether uh, it's a beetle or a butterfly, they'll hunt them when it's cold out because, because of the cold weather, the insects are slower moving and not as able to get away as fast. And so mm-hmm. they use they use that to their advantage. I mean, they're just really, really smart birds. Chris, I found this article that will help a lot of people relate to loggerhead shrikes and maybe even fall more in love with them because these researchers reported um, in May 2018 that a loggerhead shrike in Port Allen, Louisiana was observed scavenging a fully cooked piece of bacon from a hotel parking lot in which it proceeded to cache or store in a crepe myrtle tree near the hotel. (laughs) So, I mean, this loggerhead shrike could sniff out some bacon and decided that that was a food to put in its pantry. And I'm sure there's several people listening to this podcast that can agree that that is a staple that you want uh, to have, maybe not in your pantry, maybe in your fridge so it doesn't go rotten. But I was just, I was cracking up and uh, I told my husband John earlier about this and we, we were getting a good giggle out of A, the songbird collecting bacon and storing it. But then also that like this, some people get to study this stuff. I mean, I wasn't laughing at it. I was like laughing, like that's amazing. Like I want to be studying that. I want to be publishing these articles and these findings because I don't know how I got tricked to doing tricked into doing my PhD on like chemistry and mass spec. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm realizing that I might have been missing out on watching really cool loggerhead strike behavior. Yeah, it's just uh, it's such a great bird. So funny, right? So fun. They're they're a cool cool bird. And then so briefly, just to mention some of their other behaviors. Loggerhead shrikes are pretty territorial, and they'll maintain their territory through songs and displays, which I'll touch on here shortly. And if there is an intruder that comes into a male's territory, the male will definitely challenge the other male with fluttering bows and a prey-stalking display behavior, uh, and the two males might face each other and whirl at each other and stomp the ground. So just, just really really unique, fun behaviors to tell the other male, like, hey, this is my territory. Now, during breeding and nesting season, the loggerhead shrike doesn't become social necessarily, but it does become more tolerant of overlapping territories. uh, And researchers think that's probably to help either promote pair bonding or basically help to help new arrivals learn what areas already been established which one and which ones haven't. So they're a little bit more tolerant during the breeding season. And as far as a songbird goes, the loggerhead shrike, they sing pretty softly and quietly. Uh, and when they are singing, they're going to have a series of short trills that'll follow a nice rhythmic pattern. And that will include some buzzes and rasps and then some descending notes. And both males and females will uh, will sing to each other uh, and also perform territory songs. But besides singing their songs, uh, loggerhead shrikes will also do many vocalizations. There's trills, stutters, scolds, um, and then they also will clap their bill to produce this like staccato sound. Uh, if they are defending a nest or if fledglings get too close to a predator. So several, several ways that they communicate with each other that have been pretty, uh, that have been pretty well studied and recorded by uh, researchers and naturalists. All right, Angie, I'm going to jump in because this is what I love about uh, the Merlin Bird app or using eBird. You use the, there, there are two apps and the Merlin Bird app it helps you identify birds. You go in, you put in the size, the colors, what they were doing, obviously where you're at. And it gives you a list of birds that you can pick from. And you say, oh, that's the bird I saw. You click on it and then it asks you, do you want to go to eBird, which is another app that will pop up and you can report the number of birds that you see. So like yesterday, because we're in lockdown here in New Zealand, 
I take my boys for a walk once a day around the gardens and we do bird counts. And I've said that before in another podcast. And we use the app to identify certain species. So in that app, they do have the songs and calls. And that's what I play to get like fantails. So one that that's here, it's beautiful. It's a parrot. It's the Eastern Rosella. And I'll play that. And they're very shy birds, but they'll come around. Uh, so I, I do have the app open. So I'm going to play some of the songs of, of the loggerhead shrike and then a couple of their calls. So here we go. Not what you would think with the songbird, but so that's kind of the songs. But you get to the calls, that really is is distinctive, and and, and I think is it fits the behavior of this bird. So here we go. Birds make me laugh so much. Uh, I love it. I mean, yeah, it's just some of it. So yeah. cool and so fun to hear and explore them. And I mean, I must say, it's nothing compared to the Kookaburra song. No, last no, week, or, <laughs> a few weeks sorry, ago, a couple, yeah. yeah, a few weeks ago. That was just incredible. But I think for what they maybe lack in our ears for song, because that's the other thing is the their um, mates really hear that song is a you know beautiful and there's mm-hmm. there's it's, it's called a song because there's definitely different mm-hmm. notes ascending descending and different subtle sounds that probably my ears not even that great at picking up on but for whatever they may lack in a very like floral or amazing just in a very expressive and vivid song they make up for in their courtship behavior mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. and so Depending on which subspecies of the loggerhead shrike you're looking at, in general, their breeding season is going to be uh, in April through July. Uh, And one of the things the male loggerhead shrike will do is it will often kill and impale extra prey that it doesn't really need. And researchers think that it does this to basically display it's machismo mm-hmm. or it's power or it's sexual prowess or genetics, right? Uh, to attract a female. And she, the female will hopefully want this male who is basically strong and able to provide uh, this food source for her and of course their offspring. And it's also thought that when a male has a very well stocked up larder or pantry, right? Uh, of all of these prey items impaled on the thorns or barbed wire or uh, parts of trees, that it will help attract a female loggerhead shrike. And I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? I think when John and I first started dating, I definitely like did a little snooping into his pantry <laughs> before he before he you know committed. Uh, and I will say, if a man keeps the good snacks in his pantry, <laughs> well, <laughs> the rest is history. And he did not disappoint me. John had some good Cape Cod potato chips, little Debbie roll zebra cakes, uh, right? You know me and zebras, yeah. and lots of ice cream. Which to this day, I did not eat ice cream until. We started dating, and now, like every night, I'm like, "No, I can't keep eating ice cream. <laughs> it's not healthy. It's not yes. good for me." So, yeah, he his snacks were they definitely, you know, I was impressed by his snacks. Uh, <laughs> but male loggerhead shrikes will also court females by feeding them and singing to them. And I just have to say, like, if anybody's been serenaded uh, by a guitar male or female, like that is mm-hmm, fun. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And John is still working on that skill set. For You're me. the I guitar to, player to, and the singer. I was going to say, I get to serenade him. He'll sing along. We'll do some harmonizing. Yeah, yeah. We'll do yeah. dorky and sing along to some 80s and 90s songs. But, but yes, feed, yes, feed me, sing to me. That is, you know, all the things. Yes, please. But uh, in the male, he'll do some ritual dances and also perform some flight displays. So, yeah, these these male loggerhead shrikes, they know how to know how to treat a lady. 
and the female, when she is liking all the things that he's doing, the female loggerhead shrike will often do this begging behavior, which we talked about, I think, a little bit with kookaburros, where she'll act like she's begging him for food and he'll make sounds um, such as like a woot or shack sounds and then offer her the food. So it's just this very ritualized courtship display that is just uh, so cool. I just love birds. And for the most part, all of this display and drama uh, is important because loggerhead strikes are monogamous. Well, dot, 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 mostly monogamous. Once in a while, a female might raise one brood early in the season with one male and then take up with another male for the second brood of the season. So maybe like if the males, if the first male of his pantry wasn't that well stocked, mm-hmm. if you know okay. what I mean, she's, <laughs> she's like, okay, let me try number two. So yeah, just so much fun. And I mean, by pantry too, I know I probably put the visual in your head of a pantry of like cookies and chips and stuff, but a loggerhead strike pantry consists of impaled poisonous uh, uh, grasshoppers and butterflies and rodents and lizards and snakes and other birds. Bacon. name it, right? (laughs) Bacon. (laughs) Good one, Chris. Exactly. (laughs) He's a winner. (sighs) Totally. Uh, But, and I'll tell you too why Mr. Uh, Loggerhead Shrike uh, is also a winner because once they do pair up, um, they will work together to find the nest site. And they, they're they very picky. They will inspect many locations. And I don't really know bird language. We'd have to get an ornithologist on here, like how they communicate with each other. Like, okay, I want this location or not that location. I want this location or not that location. Because goodness knows I've done enough shopping with my husband for rental units and houses and things like that. And I mean, our communication probably could use a little bit of improvement when we're mm-hmm, trying to find mm-hmm, this site mm-hmm. to build our nest. Uh, but yeah, so they they find the nest site together and then they work together to gather the nesting material, which can be anything from bark strips, flowers, lichen, grass, feathers, moss, fur, string, cloth, twigs, rootlets, forbs, all sorts of things. And they collect it all together. However, the female loggerhead shrike is the one who usually constructs the nest on her own. And it takes her up anywhere from one to two weeks to do this. So I, I thought that was kind of appropriate of like, they work together and then finally the female's like, okay, just, just, just let me do it. <laughs> let me, let me yeah, finish yeah, from yeah. here. Um, so, but their, their nest is cute. It's kind of like a bowl uh, or a cup shape. Some describe it as, and it, it's typically up, in the trees, um, you know, 10, 15 feet. Now, if they're in an area, a scrubland area or grassland area where there's not many trees, then they will sometimes build their nest in like brush piles or tumbleweeds. Uh, so, uh, pretty cool stuff. And the female will then lay about five to six eggs, uh, that are like grayish in color, yellow, brownish. So not white. And she will incubate them for about three weeks, 15 to 17 days or so. And of course, the hatchling loggerhead shrikes are very helpless. Their eyes are closed. They're naked. And they grow up pretty fast. And there's reports of juvenile loggerhead shrikes performing basically like practice adult hunting behavior, but like in an exaggerated, almost charade-like way, where they'll pretend to impale things on thorns or briars to basically help train themselves for real life. So they might, they'll they'll peck at a lot of objects and then they'll maybe like take a stick or something or a leaf and practice impaling it onto the thorns. And some other behaviors that they, juveniles will exhibit to help prepare them for these really incredible adult hunting behaviors is they'll fly with sticks in the air and they'll also uh, chase their parents, and yeah, they'll, they'll they'll take an object and basically knock it on a tree. Like I guess practice either impaling and or um, severing the neck of of whatever prey item that they're they're going to be hunting. So really, really cool uh, practice behaviors that help 
help them accomplish their goals later on in life as just a really amazing, cute songbird predator. <laughs> well, it, they're just, they're just, I'm still laughing from the beginning of this thing. It, it is the cutest little bird. You listen to their, their calls and they're just, they're vicious. They're vicious carnivorous birds. They're, they definitely have a dark side. It's that, it's that black mask around their eyes. Uh, they're kind of, they're a little inconspicuous. Like, you wouldn't think it's me. Uh, and then they, you know, sever their neck, drag the thing up to a tree and skewer it's it. It's that perfect species for October. <laughs> it is perfect. When you mentioned this, I was like, oh, Angie wins. It, definitely the, the, the best one of the month. Uh, yes. Well, once again, it was it was Miss Laura. So yes, thank Laura. you yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so much fun. Yeah. Uh, so much well, fun. Well, talking about that and, you know, Thank, thank you, Laura, for, for mentioning that and bringing it to our attention. So as a species as a whole, the loggerhead shrike's near threatened. But like we mentioned in the beginning, two subspecies are critically endangered. So the first one's the San Clemente Island shrike. And this is an island off where I grew up, San Diego in California. And San Clemente Island, there is the San Clemente Island fox. I know Angie mentioned that one. To, we might cover it at some date. And you do have the shrikes on there. There's about 10 left. They're working on trying to save them. This was an island that the Navy, the United States Navy owns and uses as like a bombing range and they would live fire on it. So it was pretty devastating. You read the history of the island. There were some domestic goats on there that got into the thousands that just devastated native wildlife. So the U.S. Navy is working to rehabilitate that island and, and try to save these species. Now, the other one that the Toronto Zoo is working with is the eastern loggerhead shrike. Again, you know, critically endangered subspecies. They estimate about 35, 36 breeding pairs in Canada. And the Toronto Zoo does have a captive breeding program. So they've released, I think, like 90 birds so far or something like that. So, uh, you know, there are people out there working to save this species. Like, like Yes, zoos saving species. Yeah. We'd love yeah, it. Absolutely, absolutely. But there was some other organizations you wanted to highlight, right? Yes, Chris. Today I'm going to talk about the Conservation Centers for Species Survival. It's known as C2S2. And they can be found at conservationcenters.org. And the mission of the C2S2 is to provide leadership in studying and creating self-sustaining, secure populations in human care and in the wild of some of these most endangered species. And they do this by basically applying collective resources from several different groups to help these threatened species survive in large natural areas with min minimal public disturbance, and then, of course, a lot of research to support these species. And they have several target species, but they have a C2S2 songbird initiative because as researchers and conservationists, they are very aware of what Chris was talking about earlier in the podcast as far as our how our songbird populations in North America are just crashing. And so they have several programs to, to work on understanding that and then uh, breeding management and, and working with other groups to help uh, preserve habitat and do proactive reintroductions. And the loggerhead shrike is one of the first model species that the C2S2 is working on basically a wide range recovery plan, which include both wild populations and conservation breeding and uh, reintroductions, but also coordinating the funding to do all of this and to save their habitat and to do the research on them. So I was just really excited that the loggerhead shrike is getting the attention it deserves um, by a really important and progressive group of scientists and conservationists. And so once again, that's the Conservation Center for Species Survival, C2S2, and they can be found at conservationcenters.org. They're also on Facebook and other social media platforms, which we will put on our show yes, notes. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's amazing we've, we discover all these new ones, you know, all these organizations out there. 
I was so yeah. happy. Yes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this. And I mean, the loggerhead strike, they are fighting right. for right. them. And, uh, and, and of course on the, on the website, they mentioned that, you know, the butcher bird mm-hmm. and the, the impaling mm-hmm. behavior of their mm-hmm. prey, because you, you can't not talk about no, it. Right? I know, I know, I know. Well, again, just to, to close off the conservation tip of the week is again, I, I cannot talk about the eBird app, the Merlin bird app, you know, it's, it's out of Cornell university free to use. It's addicting. You know, you, you start to, to, to look up in the trees more, you start to notice Listening Listen, more, yeah. you definitely have me listening more on my morning walks with Rainbow. And yeah, and you start to hear these bird calls. You start to recognize these bird calls. It just makes you connect it, uh, another connection to nature. You know, we're always looking on the ground and we see things on the ground. We're like, oh wow, cool. But when you start noticing all the birds, and now you know my my sons, especially my six year old Wyatt. He's like, Dad, that's the your your Euro one. The what's it? The the the. And I'm like, it's a Eurasian blackbird, buddy. It's invasive and they're everywhere, you know. <laughs> but then he was he even said that's. <laughs> but a I sparrow. love the photos. Yeah, he's like, that's a sparrow. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I love the photos you send me of them with their binoculars. Yeah. I'm like, oh, so precious. And then of course the beautiful backdrop New Zealand, of New Zealand, yeah, which is just <laughs> to die for. It looks like fake. Oh my god. Uh, but I'm in lockdown. I can't go see it right now. Oh, COVID. That's true. Uh, that's COVID, true. you're killing me. I oh, know. Sorry. Never mind. Uh, it's been a, a, it's been challenging worldwide. We're, we're all in this together. So it, even saving the environment, we're all in this together, wherever you live. I, I just want to give you a th- big thank you, a big virtual hug. Thank you for listening. You know, thank you for supporting us. Spread this knowledge, share these episodes, recruit your friends to listen and learn. It's, it's, it's so much fun covering a bird like this that just blows your mind. And we learned so much about them. And now it's like, now it's one of my top favorite animals. <laughs> just my, I don't know if you could displace honey badger just quite yet, but this bird's close with the behavior. So thank you, Angie. Oh, well, thank you everyone for listening and learning and sharing. We really appreciate it and have a good week. Listen, learn, share, join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.